360 Wisdom Speaks podcast would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor today, Alternative Solutions with Results. They are innovators in vibrational medicine. Check out their website, https colon double slash join dot tribers dot io forward slash frequency 528. And now back to the show. Welcome to the Wisdom Speaks podcast. Uh, host here is Beverly Zymet and Nicole Borgie. Nicole, who is our guest today? Well, Beverly, today we have Gail Swift, who is an educational consultant for teenagers. And that's a big job. And I want to go ahead and bring you in. Come on in, Gail, to the welcome to the show. It's so great to be here. And thank you very much for having me, Beverly and Nicole. It's my honor. Well, you know what? We're all excited to hear about what you do, you know, and, and with teenagers, I mean, come on, that's got to be like, you know, teenagers have their thing. They know it all, right? <laughs> you are so, you are right, Beverly. They, they do and definitely have to take that into consideration while working with them and give them the space that they need to explore that about themselves. So what do you do to give them that space? What makes them comfortable with you versus the thousands of other coaches and counselors and psychiatrists and, you know, the whole enchilada? Why Gail? Why Gail? That's a fantastic, that's a really good question. And I know we're going to get into the history of why this is important to me, but specifically, Beverly, I come to the table with a very powerful weapon in my opinion. And that weapon is knowing and seeing through a process how they're wired to solve problems. And it's unique to them. It's only their pattern. It's not hereditary. So it has nothing to do with their parents. They don't need to talk about it with their friends. It's not a hashtag anywhere. It is unique to them. And so when I know that about a student, an individual, that ability gives me the power to speak into how they work in a way that no one else does because no one else would know this about them except me until they let other people know. Well, that's unique. That is really unique. What do you think, Nicole? I think we got a winner here, huh? You know... <laughs> And I, I remember, I was just thinking back to being a teenager, and I'll stop that vision now because uh, I struggled <laughs> as a teenager. Uh, but I think it's so important to have somebody, especially an adult, that a teenager can trust. Yes. 
because it's all it's obvious you know at that point that they're struggling whether it's with their friends or teachers or the parents and their family that there's a huge dynamic to finding out who they are and where they want to be in life or if they want to be anywhere at all sometimes mm-hmm. and at 15 you're pretty vulnerable right And you can go extremes, you can go into depression, or you can go into, hey, I need everybody to like me. So you're going to do what anybody wants you to do for acceptance, you know, so you've got extremes. So, you know, obviously, there was something in your past, because we're all healers here. And we all go down that road with our journey, following our story. Mm -hmm. So if you feel comfortable, Gail, can you share a little bit about your story? And why? it's important for you to touch base with 15 year olds. Yes, absolutely. When I was, um, when I was five years old, I, my mom and dad quickly saw my inability to sit still and focus. She's too crazy. She's too whatever. And (laughs) I was diagnosed at five with Tourette syndrome which was a neurological disorder. I had a very mild case of it. I was put on various forms of halidol and dopamine until I was 15 years of 15 years old. When I was 15, I didn't know about the pattern that I'm talking about today. It wasn't around for me when I was 15. It was around when I was about 18. Without that pattern, that pattern is a significant piece to this puzzle, but without knowing how I worked and I had a cognitive, I would say disorder called Tourette syndrome, I was very hyper. I wasn't able to focus. And so these drugs were supposed to allow me and help me to focus. And I asked my mom so many years later, did they help me focus? And she said, no, you never did. But Beverly and Nicole, there was a point when I was, there was a point when I was 15 and I had retreated because I was kind of sick of having my hand raised and being looked at like I had four heads and I was sick of being on the periphery because it was safer there. And one day I decided that I was going to try and be like other people because of the lack of confidence that I had in the way that I worked naturally. And I didn't even know. And so I literally tried to be someone that I was not. And if anyone listening to this has ever been in that situation, which is actually quite common, it is a very painful uphill battle to try and be and do what is against your natural grain. And it wasn't working at all. I remember setting the timer for my life in five minute increments. And I would watch the time and I would say, I can, I can keep going literally for five more minutes. That lasted about 20 minutes until I decided to overdose on the very medication that was given to me to calm me down. I fell asleep for two days. And when I woke up, I flew home. I was out of state at the time. And my neurologist looked at me and said, how can you be here? 
you took four times the lethal amount of medicine and you're still here. And I didn't know that I did that. I did have an experience while I was asleep, very clearly telling me that my job wasn't done here yet. And if I would have known how I worked, but I have not overdosed, I don't know, but I do know that I would have really known that my greatness was inside me and I didn't need to look for other people. I didn't need to look for that greatness in anyone else but me. That I would have known. Three years later, finding out how I naturally work, amazingly, I have a need for a lot of things to happen at one time. And I don't have a need to finish what I start. So that coupled with the Tourette syndrome, it was a nightmare for any teacher. And I was 15 when that happened, which is why I have a heart for 15 year olds now. That, that is such a beautiful story. Just thank you for sharing that. Cause you know, it takes a lot of courage to be able to share things like that. So what, what I'm hearing when you're talking about that is like, you had no identity. Right. You know, you were trying just to be, and you didn't even know what being was. And I think Nicole, I know for me, for sure, is I can relate to the same thing because it was about losing my identity and coming out of that, you know, and I think Nicole has a similar story too, where she didn't know who she was. So, you know, at 15, even, you know, sometimes even at 30, at 40, at 50, sometimes we look back as like, who are we? Why are we, right? Exactly, because you're, you're trying to figure out your why. Yeah. In in any form of coaching, I think we help people define their why, their passion, their purpose throughout life. But I know for me, it, it, you know, I cycled through it again and again. And it's such a blessing that you are here with this form of uh, counseling, coaching uh, with these young children because of the fact that I spent years changing who I was, right? defining who I was. And, and it's, it's to just stop to be the, the blessing is to just stop sometimes and recognize where you're at and, and who you are. And that's such a wonderful thing. And you see it, you see it in people who haven't discovered who they are at their core. Well, when you look at what's going on in the world today and has been for, you know, quite an extended period of time with teenage suicides. Yes. Right. It's again, they they don't know who to talk to. And if they did have someone to talk to, they don't know what to say or how to say it. Yet they're reaching out. It's like, I, I need somebody to help me. I don't know what I need help with, but something's not jiving. Right. And they get lost up in, you know, in gangs or into that self-centered, that depression. And they just kind of go into an abyss, don't know where they're spiraling out of control. And drugs are available anywhere you want to find them. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so it's like, where do you go from here? So when you have, you know, when you reach out and you have parents reaching out, you know, how how does that work? What is the first 
thing that has to happen when when a parent comes to you or even if a teenager hears about you because you're all over social media, you know, and and they start reaching out and you find out they are maybe they're 13, maybe they're mm-hmm. 12. Right. You know, how do you converse with them at that point then to get the parents attention that this child is is searching for something? Mm-hmm. Usually the parents reach out to me when one of two reasons, the child is in trouble, something is happening, they're depressed, they're not in a good state of mind, or the second reason is to underscore or highlight the path that they're already on to make sure that they're on the right path. So one of those, one of those two reasons is usually the call. And it depends on the age of the child, obviously, but when I work with younger people, if I work with eighth graders, like just sophomores in high school, in a school, and if they're in a situation where they're, they're like, they're throwing up in the garbage can at eight o'clock in the morning because they're drunk, or they've just witnessed a shooting over the weekend. <laughs> is that you, Nicole? Why are you raising your hand? <laughs> in there, Did you do that? Oh, that was me. I was the tragic teenager. That's why I love this conversation. You know, um, you know, and I'm open about it. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up with a lot of gangs and violence and, uh, you know, alcohol uh, around drugs and, you know, teenage mom, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. You could just stack it. Right. Um, thank goodness we didn't have phones or cameras or anything <laughs> 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 when we were younger. Um but, you, you know, it's, it's, and then coming to be a juvenile institutional officer and seeing these children behind bars, what can you do to stop that progression? But it becomes a babysitter. It really becomes a babysitter for a lot of these parents because they, they want to do this, right? They don't want to see it. They don't want to be there. They don't want to visit their children. So, and it's a cold reality. It's a beautiful thing what you offer coming here to to get in between that, right? And, and you're reaching out in, in a sense where you're helping and you're open to them, to support them. You're not forcing it on them, you know? No, really. And to your point, when I went into a school and there was a shooting that weekend and I went in on Monday, the police were there and it was like, oh, so-and-so's friend was just shot and he saw it like two days ago. Mm-hmm. And okay, and I'm addressing the class. So you got to address the elephant in the room. So I I flat out said, I have no idea what you're going through right now. I said, you are all very clearly trying to survive. You're trying to survive in your own way. This you may consider as trite or you don't believe me or whatever the case may be. I said, but borrow my belief that you are worth it. You have purpose and you have meaning. Even if you don't believe it, even if you don't see it, whatever you have going on right now, borrow my belief, borrow it for as long as you need to until you can absorb it and you can try it on. But you're right, Nicole, I'm not trying to move anyone off the mark. I'm acknowledging where they're at, telling them how amazing their contribution is to the world. And when they're ready, who's not going to admit like, this huge, big-eyed, brown-haired girl coming in, telling you you're genius, you're going to remember that one day. 
might oh, not be today, yeah, but it's absolutely. going to be one day. Absolutely. And, and the, the most important thing is that you're recognizing them, you're acknowledging their strengths and their weaknesses, who they are, or you're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm right here waiting for you on the sideline. Right. When you're ready, come on in. Right. And you know, I this remember in school, you, you either got it force fed to you or there was nothing for you. Okay. Uh, you know, and it, it just to have somebody just be right there. So this conversation is going in a direction that is getting really powerful here. And it's so relevant to what's going on in the world today. We're going to take a quick commercial break. So we'll be back here in 30 seconds. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss what's coming up. 360 Wisdom Speaks podcast would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor today, Alternative Solutions with Results. They are innovators in vibrational medicine. Check out their website, https colon double slash join dot dot io forward slash frequency 528. And now back to the show. All right, here we are back again with our guest, Gail. She is just been, ah, just an, uh, just a, a, a life-changing event going on here with her talking about what she's doing to help 15-year-olds, you know, and now she does other ages, but 15 is something personal for her and how her adventure in life and her struggles of getting to know who she was, why she was, and all of that. And working then with young children that are maybe going through some form of trauma and not having anyone that they can really trust or not feel that they can trust. Because sometimes it's easier to reach out to a total stranger than it is to your parents or your neighbor, you know. And so to have that available where there's no judgment going on is critical. So, Gail, let's continue with this conversation. We kind of left off with you know, you're talking to a student body that uh, you said you had just gone in where there had been a shooting. Mm -hmm. And of course, that is a major trauma, you know, regardless whether of where you were at the time, maybe you were in a complete different area of the school, maybe you weren't even there that day, but you were still going to feel it. But for those that were present, and actually witnessed what went on and maybe saw one of their best friends or just a classmate, you know, their life being ended, you know, the trauma. So share a little bit about where you go and how you open that space to give them that opportunity to be able to just say what they're thinking, what they're feeling and letting it just happen. When I work with a school, I would say the most powerful moments for the student are when I break them out into small groups. And there are five different groups that I break them out into depending on how they work. And when they leave their class and come over to the other side of the hall in the small group, that's when they have a chance to open up. So it is a myriad, I would say a synergy of me literally pouring into them about how they do things. And if they're taking care of siblings, if they're on a sports team, if they are needing to work because 
their mom is working three jobs, whatever the case may be, explaining to them how they do it and why they do it and to have the freedom to step into that energy and own it and not apologize for it is amazing. The other thing that they really appreciate is when they can respectfully request what they need to be in their lane. So when I bring them into the small groups, I'm explaining their lane or their way of taking action. When they know that, they can respectfully request what they need from a teacher, a principal, an employer. And there is nothing, just because they're 15 or 16, they are just as talented as a 60-year-old. There is no difference in talent. The difference, obviously, is in experience. But most people on the planet, especially the ones that you're in a sphere with, most people generally have your best interest at heart. So when that student says, I am my best self when I have the freedom to be in the back of the class and stand up when I need to, because I pay attention, I understand more clearly, and it's a need, it is not a want. So that teacher then can say, obviously, yes or no. But when they're in the small group and I'm navigating how they work, the kids were translating that to life. They're like, oh, that's why this happens or that's why that happens or that's why this stresses me out when there's chaos or when I have too much information, I get overwhelmed. They were piecing it together. So even that 15 minutes I had with each group, they shared how they were trying on their pattern of taking action, that, which was a great beautiful thing. I say that because you're giving them a choice. Yes. You're letting them know that they have a choice, they've made a choice, and the reaction. It's the same in shadow work. You're looking at your shadow self. How do you develop that self-leadership to become the better you? Mm-hmm. How do you get that state of awareness? How do you look into your inner child? And that's, mm-hmm. you've already developed certain patterns, like you say, and now how do you take that and craft that and create the ultimate you? where you can know what your triggers are and how you respond. And that's your choice, how you respond to them. That's mm-hmm. your choice where you go from there. But given that choice at, at that time, when you're developing hormonally, mentally, physically, it's amazing. And the, the freedom to decide, right, Nicole? Oh, the yeah. freedom to choose and decide. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, And, you know, it, it's helping them to understand what they're – responsibility is and and put a a better visual and understanding to that because they're probably thinking something completely you know off kilter when you can bring that back in and say this is the reality of it it's like oh wow (laughs) It, it just lifts i'm sure it just lifts a big load off because as an adult this happens so you can imagine you know with a child who like you say doesn't have the experience they have a talent they just don't have the experience but to be able to give them the space to just speak and this show wisdom speaks is doing just that it's helping women like yourself you know, to be able to speak what your story was and why you chose your profession and the results and and the things that are happening in your life that are just amazing. 
you know, to be the healer that you are, to be the expression of who you are, to work with especially these teenagers and in the educational system and because they come from so many different backgrounds, right? And it doesn't matter whether you come from a family of wealth Mm -hmm. or from a family of nothing, so so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? The, The thought patterns, the actions that are happening, it doesn't matter. It shows you that you can be in your heart space. And then yes. you, that you're one person, you're one person taking your healing as an empath, as a feeler, as a person with emotion and opening your heart space, your heart chakra and showing a certain vulnerability, but showing strength in that too, that you don't have to be meek or run under uh, and hide somewhere to open your heart and to share and care and to give this to, to electrify it and to multiply it out to the high school, which is just such a negative, negative space. It is. It's what it is. And we all want to pretend it's not, (laughs) but I've been to a few (laughs) of them too many, Uh, you know, uh, to know that there is just a festering of negativity because of the dynamic there. Um, However deep, whichever way you want to come from it, but to come into a healing space and to be direct with them. And that's what they need. They need an adult to be an adult and to raise them up and not come down to a level. And it's such, it's such a beautiful thing, what, what you bless them with and give them that ability to do it. Because it's easier on the teachers in the school when the kids are at a soft, median place where they're comfortable and now the teachers can feel comfortable. There's so much, it uh, is so different. And so when you're working with these students, you know, like in a school setting, you know, do you also take the teachers aside to help them understand what this child is going through as well? Because I think that's relevant, right? And 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 then answer that question and then go into what is it that you share with these children to make them feel special and that they do make a difference, and then how you incorporate that in with the teacher to help them reassure this child that they are special and they do make a difference. So two things, birds of a feather and space. I want to talk about the first thing, the teachers, they are also tested. So their way of working, which does not change, is in a placard on their desk. So that when the kids see their way of working, they instantly look at the teachers and identify similarities or differences naturally. Naturally, when there are differences with the teacher and a student, there might be some friction with those differences because school or education generally speaks to about 50% of the people and the other 50%, it does not to, or they, they, it does not, or they learn differently. So when I recognize or highlight those differences, here's the whole point of what I do, ladies. When the teacher gives an assignment, right? When the teacher gives an assignment, you have one end of the spectrum and here's the assignment. The path to get there looks different for every one of those kids in that classroom. But the point is they can get there. So after the small groups, when I bring the kids back into the room, I will use synergy and say, 
so-and-so in the red. If you want to know the details, call on them. If you want to brainstorm the green, if you want to know what's next in the agenda, the blue, or if you want to build a project, the yellow. So crosses all barriers. They look at each other and they're like, I didn't know you, I didn't know you had that talent. Oh my gosh, you're the same as me. Maybe we can cite like three or four sources and get this job done. The teacher then watches all of this happen and the class in small groups or a large group work together to learn their way because they have the freedom, that result that the teacher is looking for. So that's what happens when this is in the classroom. But the second thing, space that I wanted to talk about, this isn't without pain, by the way. So sometimes parents call me and they're wondering why so-and-so isn't motivated, why the students aren't motivated. I'm going to be giving a speech at an education conference this summer about student engagement. My belief wholeheartedly is that kids are engaged when they have the freedom to work their way, flat out, without judgment, without trying to make it different. When they have the freedom to work their way, they're motivated. The longer it takes to figure out your way, the harder it will be to get there. So for example, my parents didn't know this about me until I was 18. A lot of kids, a lot of parents don't necessarily want to know this because to give a child freedom when they're under your roof, that's, that could be painful. Right. That, that child learns by making mistakes. And it's when, I'm going to give a really small example, it's almost like a balloon that's full of confetti. All right. They have all of this color inside of them. And as the balloon floats through life, the parents catch it right before it hits the bottom, right? Because they don't want it to break. But it's only when it hits the bottom and pops, do you see what it's made of? But the popping is the pain. So you have to watch the child literally struggle, step back and see what they're made of. That takes time and intentionality as a parent and an educator. And it's hard. Yes, you know, that is a a really relevant point that you're making there because no parent wants to see their child get hurt. But at the same time, it's it's doing more of an injustice than a justice, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's what we call the helicopter mom, right? In soccer (laughs) practice, it's hovering over the kid. I've done it when my daughter was young, but letting her go out and try it. You've got to let your kid kind of put their hands on the stove for a second to say, okay, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot, whoop, it's hot. Now I know I've developed my reflexes. But the way that you talk about delegating to a team, you're teaching these kids not only self-leadership and awareness and clarity in their consciousness, but also the ability to work as a team and identify their differences as a manager. I've had to do this. When you're Good management, if, if you read good leadership in, in the workforce, and this works as a solo person, even in the family dynamic, if you delegate to their strengths, it's a smoother transition and you get what you need done. If you're force, forcing it or mollycoddling, you get nothing. <laughs> and it's frustrating for everybody. 
And it's such a beautiful thing to say, hey, you know what? You got this, kid. Go with it. Do your thing. You know, I, I like what you were saying, you know, the colors, you know, so basically what you're doing is you're teaching these children what their personality traits are and to recognize a personality trait in their fellow class, you know, mates, because at that time, that's where the, you understand why the friction and now instead of making it a friction, it's understanding their assets and working with them. And when the teacher can see that, it's like light bulbs come on. So being able to teach a child at that age, that's something that they'll be able to recognize with everyone that crosses their path as they begin to grow into young adults and into their adult life. Now they're getting into businesses. They're getting into relationships. They're going to be able to interact on a whole different level because they're recognizing the core of who that person is, right? There are, yeah, there, there are three parts of the mind. There's cognitive like your experience, your IQ, and then there's affective, which is your personality, your motivation, your desires. And then there's that third part that I work with that is very unheard of, and it's called conative or conation, which is the doing part of the mind. So it's think, feel, do. Now, personality and cognitive can change over time, right. depending on how you're feeling, depending on your experiences. But conative, what I work with, does not change over time. So I had my test done in 1991, and I had it done again in 2015. And it was within 90% of where it was in 1991. She has tested this over and over again since 1987, and it is valid and reliable every single time. Kids can count on it. It will not change. It will not change over time. So when you know how you work and you know your ideal pattern, naturally that will dovetail into one of your amazing contributions to the world in the career that you pick. So for example, if you have someone that is naturally not needing details to make a decision, they will probably not be a librarian. <laughs> probably not right so right. those those common sense things happen and so when the kids took there were two tests and when they took the student aptitude quiz there was an efficacy test built into it what that told the staff and myself this goes back to what nicole was saying as a group was their belief in the gifts they bring to the table, the value they placed on their gifts and the value they placed on others. This is huge because I believed honestly that my way of working was the absolute best way. And if everyone worked <laughs> the way I worked, the world would be a better place. Like why isn't everyone doing things my way? I believed that. Yeah, I, I've been down that road a time or two myself until yeah. all of a sudden you wake up one day and say, you know, there's other ways to get to the end result. It doesn't necessarily have to be your way or the highway, right? I, it, until I had kids, Beverly, that was my thinking. So <laughs> shame on me for going through, you know, a lot of life believing that. But when my kids were born and I saw this and that they would do things differently and I'm like, you know what? It just seems easier to go with the grain instead of against it. 
You're yeah, they can still yourself. be major contributors, but why not go with the grain? I have to find out what the grain is first before I go with it. <laughs> so when the kids in school, there's a middle ground, humility or high confidence for efficacy. But when they were, I would say they were low confidence or very insecure. And after six weeks of working with them, if they were still low confidence or very insecure, that's what I would call a red light kid. There were six of them at one of the schools that I worked with. Those six kids, I said, I'm not a counselor. I'm not, I said, you need to, as a school, follow up with these six kids every three weeks. And I wrote out the questions to ask them to follow up every three weeks. They need to be in touch. They need to know they're valued. They need to see their value. And so the teachers didn't know that these red light kids existed. But when they didn't move up after seeing their amazing contribution on the efficacy scale, that's a red light to me because they're in a dark place and they need help besides me to get them out of that place. So, and I was thankful that the, the education system, the counselors were following up with these students at that point. Oh, that's amazing. Again, it's another team. And ladies, we are getting ready to wrap it up. Our time right up and we could talk all day about <laughs> it's a beautiful people, subject right? here <laughs> yes so gail yes how do people get a hold of you how do these schools <laughs> get a hold of you how do people get your magic <laughs> that's such a great question <laughs> my best way of working is the phone some people aren't comfortable with that they can text me um, or they can send me an email those are the top two ways to get a hold of me Okay. We'll have and, your links below. Right. Yeah. And you had a gift. Can you explain a little bit what the gift is for the audience here today? I, I will. The, the link will be there. They can, they can copy it down and yeah. go. So the top five mistakes parents make when they think they're raising productive kids. Okay. The top five mistakes. These are from hundreds of assessments with families and individuals. These are my, this is my personal list and my personal findings that I think would be of value to you. Oh, wow. You know, that could be five shows on its own, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Nicole, thank you for having us here. And, uh, you know, Gail, it's a special treat to have you on the show and we'll definitely stay in touch, see what we can do at another time down the road, you know? And so if anyone has questions or want to make contact with Gail, her mm -hmm. links are down below and go get that free gift. Cause that sounds like quite the interesting little thing to have. Like you say, when you think you're raising productive children, or if you think you're even being productive in yourself, right? Right. Right. Maybe it's time to do a, check and yes. see where you stand so thank you again so much for being here and um, we'll see you on another show i'm sure thank you guys bye, bye. for now <laughs>